0: Hey everyone, I am excited to announce that Esther, Something Hidden, Something Revealed, is now available on Amazon as a side study, Volume H, in the Gospel Feast series. The Book of Esther is a mysterious one. As written, it is a book with many contradictions. The name Esther means something hidden. It does contain several historical conundrums and a handful of mysteries. It is the only book in the Bible that never mentions God at all. Why? Many Jews today say that it is just fiction, because they can't find any of the characters mentioned within historically. And yet, they celebrate the book with a major festival annually. It is also one of the books that is required reading in the weeks before Passover, every year. Not by God, but by Esther herself. Why do this if you insist the book is just fiction? It is one of the only books that Joseph Smith made no corrections to, although he considered it to be historical. How is any of this possible? Esther reads as an eyewitness account, but then struggles with the simple, logical issues and frequently contradicts itself in some very strange ways. How come? Considering that Esther became the most powerful queen of the world's largest empire, none of this makes any sense. Or does it? Despite the wonderful story, we are left with the puzzling questions Who was King Ahasuerus? Who was Mordecai? Who was Haman? And actually, who was Esther? The answers may just surprise you. The book is not fiction. And in fact, all of the puzzling contradictions were put in place for a very devious reason, and not by Esther. Join us on this astounding historical reconstruction and be amazed at what Esther really tried to do. And how, had she been able to accomplish what she had tried, your life would be very different right now. You think you know the book of Esther? Are you sure? Let's feast on the Word of God together and see what a woman of God can do When she really puts her mind to it, it also might make an incredible Mother's Day gift for the ladies in your life. Happy Mother's Day.
1: This is the Gospel Feast Podcast for those that need a little meat after the milk. It's time to feast on the Word. (laughs) Welcome back. This episode is a seventh episode, and so, in honor of Eastern thinking, we are resting from our normal topics and enjoying questions from our listeners. Thank you all for sending them in. Let's get started. This question is from Jacob from New York. There are many places in the Bible where the Lord speaks about the end days. Are there any places that you believe refer to the current disease situation that
0: the world is in now? What a question! It is true that many of us in all Christian denominations believe that these are the end times, or the very last days. Joseph Smith said that we were in the eleventh hour, meaning that midnight was the end. Actually, how far into the eleventh hour is the great debate? Listeners to our podcast know that it is our contention that the second coming will occur on a jubilee year which we believe will be sometime during the year 2030. Now, could we be wrong about that? Yes, absolutely. The Lord will come when the Father sends Him and not before. Our assumption is very logical, but it could be wrong. It is important to realize that there are almost no remaining end-time signs, and the Lord said that by watching the signs we would know the seasons. One of the odder remaining last-day signs has never made any sense until now. Listen to this, Luke 21, 31-36. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare it shall come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man.
1: So yeah, we had talked previously about something that we just sort of overlooked, which was, how could a snare
0: be for the whole world? Well, that's the part that I find fascinating. Can you think of any event that's ever happened in history that trapped an entire planet? People might argue the world wars. Well, yes, but there was even parts of the world
1: that were insulated from them. They were so unimportant strategically that no one bothered. I do not think this scripture was possible to be fulfilled until modern technology.
0: Well, and I remember as we were watching the various disease counts go on, there was a world map, and there was no place on the globe where they weren't showing these many people are dying, these many people are... Well,
1: and that they weren't actively tracking. They had someone there reporting back. Well, so we're told. Yeah. Unless it was a snare. And there's some of that. We have to check our sources. And thinking again of the scripture you just read, they're so drunken with the cares of the world. I know I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you're so caught up with and intoxicated by the news, by the media, by this constant influx of new information. And some of it's enticing or exciting or terrifying, which is just as captivating sometimes as good stuff. I think that has created a sort of stupor of a mindset among people.
0: I like that. I like the particular idea that we're kind of drunk with this information, and that drunkenness does give you an altered state. And you can see that.
1: Now, I know we've talked a lot about the difference between logic but also emotion, but we've learned that we need to rely on both. We need to trust our feelings, certainly, but at the same time, not throw two plus two out the window. We've seen different conflicting data of different events recently. And so you try to present this logically to someone, saying, hey, these two things do not jive, and they just
0: disregard it. Well, and that's interesting you say, because that's the definition, more or less, of surfeit, surfeiting. The Lord says, be careful that your hearts don't be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness.
1: Well, give us a better definition of surfeiting.
0: Well, it's sort of like an excessiveness. It's like a 24-hour news cycle. It's like a constant pushing or overabundance of something that it becomes overwhelming. And you can't process it anymore. I think that's true. Don't you find it interesting, for example, for the first time in my life, I was cautioned that I should not give a priesthood blessing in person to a person with this disease du jour.
1: Oh, uh, that seemed to me to fly directly in the face
0: of the Lord's call to go to the sick. Well, don't you think so? And certainly the Lord blessed the lepers, and they got better, and leprosy was a death sentence.
1: Oh, yeah. And he wasn't afraid to bid them to come unto me. The sick, the lame, the mute, all of that, right? Obviously. And his apostles, he gave the same charge, to go to them. So we carry that same responsibility as we're supposed to seek out the sick and help them.
0: Can you do it over Zoom? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've often wondered, could you take the iPad and could I put it on my head and get a blessing?
1: Well, and, then, and and that's what I meant earlier about logic. Logically, to give someone a blessing in the manner that Christ showed, you have to minister to them directly.
0: That's my understanding. But you've been given counsel not to do that. Well, I wanted to ask if I get sick can you put your hands on your iPad You get on Zoom? I'll put my iPad on my head and you can bless me.
1: Please tell me their immediate response was laughter at seeing how ridiculous that that solution to a problem that shouldn't have even been a
0: problem. What surprised me was they were afraid of getting the disease so much so that their heart was overcharged with excess and they bought into the fantasy that on the Lord's errand even, they might die. It's remarkable.
1: Well, You know, drunkenness, uh, one definition could be is an impaired ability to think, impaired to reason, to even appropriately assess a situation. And that's what we're seeing all around us. People that are inebriated in day-to-day life with simple tasks.
0: There are a lot of people that feel like we're in an altered, strange state right now, like a mythos, like we've talked about before. Okay, so
1: circling back to a worldwide snare... Uh, In a previous podcast, we had answered a question about another end-time prophecy of John's, the mark of the
0: beast. Oh, yes. And so, can we connect these two? Well, we absolutely can. John makes a really interesting statement in Revelation, and it, it, it is about the end days. He says in Revelation 18 that with the fall of Babylon, as Babylon falls apart, and we know that Babylon is the church of the devil and the synagogue of Satan, which is actually one entity, and they're both connected to Esau, which we'll talk about at some point. This is part of the Mount of Esau, which stands in juxtaposition to the Mount of Zion. And he talks about the fall of Babylon and the collapse of this satanic church. And he makes this really interesting statement in Revelation 18, 23 and 24. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee, And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. So again, this is the worldwide snare mentioned earlier. Yes, all nations are deceived or trapped. Now, why that becomes so interesting is he says it's the sorceries that do it. John probably wrote this in Hebrew, but it was translated into Greek anciently because Greek was rapidly becoming the universal language of the church. The word sorceries in Greek is pharmakia.
1: Oh, that is interesting.
0: What else do you think the word (laughs) pharmakia?
1: (laughs) Well, that sounds like it is the root for the word pharmacy. It is. And pharmaceuticals, which is specifically drugs. If the original word was pharmakia... These merchants had used their, I guess, concoctions, potions, things that they had made for health purposes, because that's what a, a potion was for. An old snake salesman, right, was the alternative to the healing power of the Lord, was you would go to your local witch doctor and get some tonic, and that's how you'd be saved. They had made themselves, if they were the great men of the earth, clearly they've made some
0: money for themselves. It's a form of spell casting. These things become really simple to understand when you start to see the bigger picture. Satan is a liar. They've always used drugs throughout time to create altered states and to cast spells so that mythos, or false reality, can become the norm and enter into a human's sense of reality and space. One of the ancient names that Israel called Lucifer was Beliar. The idea was that he is a liar, and he alters reality or, more specifically, one's perception so that he can control the meaning. Witches and wizards and sorcerers and warlocks are all names for this mythos, but it's based in this reality. Sorcerers create alternative truths by their drugs, and hence the connection to the Mark of the Beast. Remember, the mark of the beast is a snakebite. It's a venom. It's a poison that is injected into the human from the beast. It all hangs together perfectly. Double, double, toil and trouble. Bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Interesting.
1: The sorceries and deceit. So a better translation, hopping straight from the Hebrew to the Greek, should have been, For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by their drugs were all nations deceived.
0: I think that's correct. What most people don't realize is the two things that Nimrod, who started Babylon, craved were poppies and oil. Interesting. And those two were found in the five cities of the plain that became Sodom and Gomorrah and those five cities. Their merchandise was oil and poppies. Today, the oil has moved to the Middle East, where it is Iraq. Mm -hmm. Iran. And poppies come from? (laughs) Afghanistan. In fact, the Church of the Devil and the Synagogue of Satan will tell you that one of their high wizards has his home and palace in Afghanistan.
1: Okay, that is a wonderful answer. I think it gives us clarity on the subject. So obviously, the next follow-up question should be, what happens
0: next? Well, the scriptures do say that The major sign to be watching for is the ending of the door-to-door missionary work. And once it ends, the Lord will start to speak with nature, which is what much of the book of Revelation is about. Now, why that becomes so interesting is John says, while all this is going on, and you'll even notice in Revelation 18, he's also talking about nature. He talks about an angel taking up a stone like a great millstone and casting it into the sea. And this sounds very much like the... Stone cut without hands that Daniel saw that flies at the feet and knocks down the great altar of Nebuchadnezzar, and the other great talk of meteorites and planetary things. It's nature. The Lord, as the God of nature, is going to start testifying where the missionaries no longer can. And when that happens, John says that the same powerful, wealthy bankers, elitists, crazy people that think they own the earth will go into the ground to hide themselves. I like to say that they're not going down there to save themselves, but they're going down into their own coffins because the Lord will then be able to bury them. We can see the bunkers they're building all across the planet. This is coming to pass right before our eyes.
1: Wow. And so what we're waiting for is then that next step, as you said, nature to start testifying. Yes. Something that we haven't seen in a long time. Uh, Reading the scriptures, there's a lot of examples of different moments when the Israelites were shown great signs in the heavens, and that would be nature testifying. But in our modern day, when was the last time we cast off a volcano erupting as a natural phenomenon? It's not of any importance. A hurricane that specifically targets a city for destruction, it's just a tragic event. But These would have to be significant enough, would they not, to wake up mankind, that these are not just random occurrences, but the just and right vengeance of a God that's been wronged?
0: Well, I'm glad you said that. Ezekiel mentions that some of these signs will be so wondrous that Israel will begin to say, there really is a God and he hasn't abandoned us. And Joseph says it's very much like a woman travailing in birth. And so the idea is that she has these pains that seize her and then there's these moments of release and pain and release. And that as the baby's birth gets closer and closer, the pain becomes longer and quicker and the moments of relief become shorter. He said that was exactly what it would be like as Zion would be giving birth.
1: Okay. So this is the sign we need to wait for or watch for as, as he would say, if, if you can see the sign like the fig tree, You
0: should not be
1: able to miss this.
0: The book of Revelation is filled with incredible acts of nature and the Lord's testimony of nature. And we're going to see that more and more. So it's all in the scriptures. And as we study the scriptures, we will be able to see and read the signs.
1: Wonderful. Okay, so we have been warned. Our next question is from Javier in Sao Paulo, Brazil. He asks, who is Apollyon?
0: In chapter 9 of the book of Revelation, Apollyon is mentioned. And what's so interesting is, once again, this particular being and sign is connected to the idea of stars falling from heaven. So the heavens. What most people don't realize when they're reading the scriptures is there's a term that the Lord uses. He calls himself the Lord of Sabaoth.
1: I've seen that. And sometimes it's like, is there just an extra O in
0: there? People read it and they think that it's saying the Lord of Sabbath, but it's not Sabbath. And if you stop and look, he is sometimes the Lord of Sabbath, but sometimes he's the Lord of Sabaoth. So
1: it's not a typo.
0: No, it's not. In fact, the Sabaoth means Lord of the hosts of heaven or the armies of heaven. Specifically, he's talking about the planets. Oh, very interesting. So when
1: people say host of heaven, they usually think just angels, a bunch of angels. They do. But you're saying it's actually the physical celestial bodies of heaven. Yes. The stars, the moon, the the other
0: planets. Well, they're the ones that live in the heavens. And so being the hosts of heaven, they're the ones that live there. So he's the Lord of the beings that live in the space. And that's the planets. What's so interesting, let's just look at this in chapter 9 together. And so he says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven onto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as scorpions have power. There's been a lot of talk about what these creatures are that are coming out of the bottomless pit. A lot of people see them as demons. Personally, I think that they're insects. There's going to be swarms and attacks of these insects in such a manner that they are oppressive. I don't know if these are going to be the Asian hornets that we hear about, that are these enormous yellow jacket creatures with these terrible stingers that people say actually are incredibly frightening when they see them. They're enormous. I don't know if they're going to be some of these horrifically huge locusts that the ancients say used to plague us from time to time. But the part that becomes interesting is that their king is this being named Apollyon. The clue that we have is that his name in this case is Greek, Apollyon. We know Apollyon. He is Apollo.
1: Okay, so that's why they use
0: that Greek word. Yes. They're trying to tie it to Greek mythos. Yes, that's correct. The Greeks know this being as Apollo. We know this being as the sun, the great hot plasma star at the center of our solar system. That sun. That's Apollo. That's Apollyon. Apollyon is the sun. Experts will tell you that temperatures and seasons affect insects dramatically. John tells us in his same apocalypse that the sun's hours and temperatures are going to change. This will affect all life on the planet, and that includes insects, the pests that until now we have kept under control. Remember the Lord's punishment of Egypt in the days of Moses, called the old kingdom. The ancients all feared the sun. They knew that at some point the sun was going to get angry. John says this, as you read Revelation, you will see that the sun gets angry and that life on earth begins to change and that the heat situation changes and the amount of hours of heat changes and that has profound effects upon the earth, including the insects and the plants and man. The sun becomes oppressive. This is the meaning behind the great sun calendar that the Aztecs built in Mexico that was dug out some years ago.
1: Oh, fascinating. So they knew something about the cycles of the
0: sun, or was it a warning? They believed that using their prophets and their scriptures, they could figure out when the sun was going to get angry. And they built caves in the earth to go into because they knew that when the sun gets angry, the only thing you can do is go underground.
1: And hide from it.
0: Yes. That's the real meaning behind the dates that they figured out. You'll know that the Luciferians believed that the end was going to come in December. I think it was 2012 is when they oh, said Oh, I think that it was 2012.
1: When the calendar had run out, and so they were all panicked.
0: And they were worried about the sun calendar, the Aztec calendar. That's the one that they figured. And you remember when Al Gore did this? Yes, the, Earth that is, was the, the world was going to end
1: in 2012, as
0: I recall, that's right. according to him. That's right. They were all using the satanic idea of when will the sun get angry? You'll find this all over the place. There's even some calendars in medieval France that say the same thing. Be wary of the day when Apollyon gets mad. The ancients have always understood that the Lord was the Lord of Sabaoth, that by being able to control the planets, he was proving that he was God omnipotent.
1: Well, and that's very interesting, because this was his way of reassuring or reaffirming that, no, I am the Lord of all these things.
0: Of the universe. I am the Lord of the universe. The word universe in Latin means single-spoken sentence.
1: Oh, isn't that interesting?
0: Certainly. When you consider Genesis, the Lord said, and this happened, he said, and this happened, and creation obeyed, and he said, he said, the universe, the one-spoken sentence. His name is even contained in your DNA. There are four letters in Adamic Hebrew, Jehovah or Yahweh, that makes up his holy name. And there are four letters in DNA. We've labeled them differently, but it's the same concept. The Lord's name, the stamp of his approval in creation, the stamp of thus saith God, and it became, is even contained within every cell in your body. At least until the spike protein gets a hold of it. We'll have to wait and see what that does. Oh my goodness. But it is literally everywhere. You can see hints of this. For example, in the days of the week. Just as there are seven days of the week, there are seven dispensations, and different planets functioned in different ways throughout the history of man. My favorite example comes from the French. Their days for the week still connect more tightly than I think in any other language, although you will find remnants in this in all languages. All around the world, these countries still contain some of these truths, but the French, for some reason, seem to have it more precisely, in my opinion. Their days of the week go. Lundi, Mardi, Mercredi... Junedi, Vandaldi, Samedi, and Dimanche, or Moon Day, Mars's Day, Mercury's Day, Jupiter's Day, Venus's Day, the Sun's Day, and then the Day of the Lord. Oh, interesting.
1: So, according to them, they had laid it out that the Sun's Day came right before the very end. Well, and so did the Aztecs. That's
0: what the Sun Calendar is trying
1: to say. So, this would have been taught anciently, and As we know, apostasy attacks all cultures, unfortunately. But it's still hidden in there.
0: The occultists still know it. And they still believe it. But they don't want you to believe it. They want you to think that nature is changing because cows are farting in the jungle, and because you didn't recycle your water bottle but threw it in the ocean, and we're all doomed, and that's why the sun's getting louder. And John's trying to say, no, watch for Apollyon. He is coming.
1: What is the effect Polyon has on us?
0: That's going to be a discussion that's lengthy and in the book of Revelation, which we'll have to save. It's all in there.
1: So that discussion is in Revelation and the Mark of the Beast, your sixth
0: book in the series. Yes, at length, and we don't really have time doing Ruth to get into that. And people may want to also study Ezekiel. Ezekiel has a ton about what's coming, including Gog and Magog, and some timelines for what we're watching happening right now. Okay, here is a related question from Benjamin in Park City, Utah.
1: Read: can you tell us more about the king men in the Book of
0: Mormon? Well, all of these questions are really interrelated, which shows that people are beginning to see the signs, and they're beginning to become concerned about what's going on all around us in the world. I think that's a joint testimony in humanity that we are in the last days. These entrappers, who we've been speaking about, are the ones who are trying to snare us. They are the kingmen, warned about in the Book of Mormon. Can you believe all the prophecies and warnings that are in the Book of Mormon, that are coming true right before our eyes, nightly on the news? From corrupt judges, political and electoral machinations, secret, satanic, cabalistic combinations, chaos on the borders, and even cannibalism, see Moroni chapter 9, these kingmen were anciently known as the Quars or Kars, including the Semitic-Hemetic merge and morph, Far. Our sects of them go back to Nimrod, and then to Esau, who is also called Edom. I lay this all out in Volumes 7-10 through 10 of the Gospel Feast series on Genesis, and perhaps we can feast on all of this together before we're through. The ancient self-proclaimed kings of the world, the Quars or Kars in Adamic, The word means head male, or in our modern parlance, perhaps, alpha male. They claim ownership and the right to rule from Lucifer, their god. At the fall of the Great Tower, this word morphed into more familiar words. Khazar, the Illuminati claim. Caesar, Edomic Italy. Kaiser, Edomic Germany. Far, as in Faro, in Hamitic-Semitic Egyptian. And Tsar, Edomic Russia. These will yet cry, hide us from the face of the lamb, he whose right it is to rule when the true king, Jesus Christ, reappears. Incidentally, the far, the same in the Semitic Emetic far I just mentioned, was called the head with the mouth that held fangs, F-A-N-G, by the sons of Israel. You know, a fanged mouth like what a snake might have, the mouth that he might use to bite you or mark you with his poisoned injection this is the same far as in pharmacia let's put some of these things on the website for people to see okay love it let's do it gospelfeastbooks.com the lord has said that he would take his peace and spirit from the earth i believe we are witnessing this now as the logic and brotherly emotion of mankind is failing all around us we will have to cling more tightly to the holy ghost and the word of the Lord to get through it. No wonder President Nelson counseled us. My dear brothers and sisters, I promise that as you prayerfully study the Book of Mormon every day, you will make better decisions every day. I promise that as you ponder what you study, the windows of heaven will open, and you will receive answers to your own questions and direction for your own life. I promise that as you daily immerse yourself in the Book of Mormon, you can be immunized against the evils of the day. We have had so much great counsel, warnings, blessings, and prophecies among our people. We need to hold on and feast on, and try to be nicer to one another. We need to remember that we are all one big human family, and that God our Father and Christ our Judge will yet have their say in all of this we must not turn on each other. To wax pop culture and Dr. Seuss, we must not end up letting our McBeans among us take our money and turn us into Delta Belly Sneeches and non-Delta Belly Sneeches. We are one family, after all, and we are going to remember that on the Day of Judgment. One piece of hope. John the Beloved said that our entrappers would run out of time, and would hide themselves underground in the earth from the face of the Lamb. I believe that the very many elaborate bunkers which you can see online with a search are fulfillment of this sign. Incidentally, Luciferian prophet H.G. Wells based the Luciferian hope of surviving the millennium underground as the plot of his book, The Time Machine. You will note that the foolish, innocent LOI, his term for the followers of Elohim, are the ones who live on the surface. They are turned into a source of cannibalism for the Morlocks, which is his wordplay for the followers of Moloch. You might be amazed at what is going on right now in modern times. H.G. Wells was wrong. Those who hide themselves underground will not be doing anything other than putting themselves into their own coffins. My Baptist friends like to say, spoiler alert, I have fast forwarded to the end of the movie, and guess what? God wins.
1: Wow, this was another amazing episode on the Gospel Feast podcast. We are so grateful that an increasing number of God's sons and daughters are wanting more meat at the Feast of the Lord. We are grateful to all of our listeners now in 761 locations spanning 31 countries. We rejoice together with you in the knowledge that Jesus is our Christ, our Redeemer, and Savior. We know that as we reach up to him in humble prayer, that he will send peace to our hearts in these difficult times. We thank all of our listeners who are acting as saviors on Mount Zion and sharing the good news of the gospel with others. Speaking of which, our next podcast will finally get into more specifically what it means to be an under-savior, under the great Savior, Jesus Christ on Mount Zion. Please continue to send in your questions for our next seventh episode, and until then, continue to rejoice in your testimony that Jesus is your Christ. As always, the thoughts and opinions in this podcast are not endorsed or sponsored by any denomination. They are ours and ours alone. And until our next podcast, may the Lord Jesus Christ be with you.
0: Rationale for Fair Use of Copyrighted Items Used We acknowledge that some of the items included in this podcast are owned and still under copyright protection by others. United States copyright law allows authors, scholars, educators, newsmen, and others to use and reproduce another's copyrighted works without permission under certain guidelines. Courts have determined that there are four basic uses. While not required to do so, we will here state one of the uses that we are claiming. Fair use law allows fair use when copyrighted material is being used to make a specific educational, research-based, scholarly, and or critical comment on the work being used. American courts have said, This is needed in free society since knowledge and history could not advance if copyright holders had the right to refuse use for any reason. They would therefore be able to control knowledge, which is counterproductive to truth.